All right, we are in Acts 2. I invite you to turn there. We're in 237 to 41. We've read it already, but let me just uh, read it again because it's not very long. When the crowd heard this, what did they hear? While uh, the Spirit has come upon the people, Peter's proclaimed the good news that Jesus is the risen King, the anointed one, uh, the, the, the King of the, the new creation of the world is now coming. He says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit on my right side until I make your enemies a footstool. And, and the crowd heard this, and they were deeply troubled. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, change your hearts and your lives. Each of you must be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the, gift, for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you, your children, and for all who are far away, as many as the Lord our God invites. With many other words, he testified to them and encouraged them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. And those who accepted Peter's message were baptized. And God brought about 3,000 people into the community on that day. So this is the the story of evangelism, the, the, the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus, and people begin to respond. And one of the first things that I observed in the text is that the people ask a question, and they say to Peter, uh, brothers, what should we do? And notice then that the response comes out of the answer to the question that the people were asking. And it's just my observation is that we perhaps have a bad habit in the church of answering the questions that people aren't asking. And so if we want to talk about evangelism, if we want to talk about proclaiming the good news of Jesus, let me first suggest that it starts by listening well. And it starts by listening to the questions that the people around us are asking and responding to that question first, not to the questions that we already have or the answers that we already have. Um, So maybe, let me suggest, the key to speaking the good news of Jesus, who is the risen king, starts with us listening well. When we were in Mexico, uh, <clears throat> there was this group from Colombia that came up to do street evangelism, and their street evangelism went something like they would go up to people on the street, and they'd be like, do you think you're a good person? And they'd be like, yes. And they'd be like, well, have you ever told a lie? And they're like, well, yes. And like, well, liars go to hell. It says so here in the passage, you're going to hell. Would you like to accept Jesus as, as your Savior? And people went, I guess so, if they'll make you go away. <laughs> and, um, and so that's not, that's not helpful way of engaging with people. Let us be people who listen well, hear the question, what should we do, and then respond with the good news of Jesus. Verse 39, I also think, is just a really interesting word. This promise is for you, your children, and all who are far away, as many as, as the Lord God invites. I wonder if we sometimes miss the offensiveness of this invitation. Um, one of the, the best commentaries on Acts I've been reading is, it comes from this guy, Willie Jennings. And Willie Jennings suggests, says that this passage, this verse, is deeply offensive to the religious people because it says, it suggests a necessary change for those who are already committed to the faith. 
Because the people that have gathered to hear this message are religious people. These are Jewish people. They have come to Jerusalem to practice the religious rites of their faith. They believe that they already know God. They believe that they already see God. And yet, now the invitation is for the religious people to see that they need to repent and change. <clears throat> so Jenning writes, here is the point of offense. All religious faith believes that it already has God in its sights. It knows and seeks after it. It tire, tire, tirelessly devotes time, energy, and resources to the holy. And those who hear this message, however, encounter a difference born of the body of Jesus. See, the people thought they already saw the holy. They already thought they saw God. They already thought that they were on the right path. And yet those who are near and those who are far are invited to hear and see and be transformed by the work of Jesus. And so Paul call, or Peter sorry, calls people to be baptized, to enter into the symbol of the new, that the, the death has been overcome, and each baptism then becomes this declaration in the, each baptism in the name of Jesus becomes this declaration, come Holy Spirit, come and claim another part of your body. Come and claim another part of your creation, another child of God. Come as the, the baptism is this, this invitation and it's a revelation of the divine hunger, of God's hunger for people to come back into the fold and back into the body. And so Willie Jennings says that this text speaks of formation, not formula. This is not just like a formula where you, you know, repent, believe, be baptized, and now you become like saved and good, because that, that is what the religious people already thought. They were already following the formula. But instead, what we hear is the divine invitation to formation to transformation, to entering into the life and the body of Christ and setting our lives on a trajectory that follows a different way, that follows in the way of Jesus. And so what we see in this story, the, the theme, one of the themes that comes up over and over in the story of Acts is the story of divine inclusion. That God keeps welcoming people into His body. It is the divine hunger that God calls not just Israel and Israel's children, but also all of the world to come and be known. I love this idea of trajectory. I think it is so crucial for us in our discipleship, in our following of Jesus, in our Christian faith. We have to think about where is our life going? What is the trajectory of my decisions in my following in this way of Jesus. Because when we come to this idea of trajectory, what we find is that it will lead us into conflict and contrast with the world around us. And so it's, it's interesting. Uh, I, I've been really thinking about this in verse 40. It says, With many other words, he testified to them and encouraged them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Or... Um, who, else, who read it earlier? Uh, be saved from this crooked generation? There's, one, there's a few different translations, right? 
So discipleship, following in the way of the kingdom of God, will lead us away from or in conflict to this world. It is a trajectory of our lives. It is to do what Jesus says in John 12. It says, whoever serves me must follow me. And so if we want to follow Jesus, it will lead us in a different way. Discipleship is about the trajectory of the kingdom in our lives. Which just makes me think, let us remember that like going to seminary does not equal discipleship. Going to a Bible study does not equal discipleship. Coming on a Sunday service does not equal discipleship. And a sermon and listening to a sermon definitely does not equal discipleship. In fact, we as a culture are obsessed with information. And we want to think that if we get the right information, then we will be discipled or we will do something. But, but information is only part of the story. It can be helpful, but it doesn't equal discipleship. The way of the kingdom is about faithful living. It's about how our lives are conforming into the way of the kingdom. And so this story is an invitation to set the trajectory of our lives and our actions in line with the story of the gospel of Jesus. The story of Jesus, the gospel message, is the full story of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and now the renewing of the world that we live in line with. And our baptism stands as a symbol that says, I'm participating in this renewing of the world. I am participating in the renewal of all things that happens under the leadership of King Jesus. So what do we do with this perverse generation line? Because I don't know about you, part of me is like, oh yeah, like uh, everybody around us is just perverse. Or, uh, you know, we, we talk about it in a moral sense that somehow the world around us is just so morally broken, opposed to us. And it, 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 the word means, can mean that. But I, I, I was reading, and I was like, as I, as I was reading it, like, what, what does this mean? What is he calling people to in this passage? Is it to be like, how to write it, build a colony, get away from the world, you know, make our own little, our own little communes? Or is there, is there something else that he's calling us to? And, and one of the things that I found really interesting is the way that the word can also mean to be warped, winding, or crooked. And the word, we know um, Luke is the one who, who wrote this passage. And uh, Luke uses this word in another place, which I thought was an interesting parallel as we think about it. <coughs> I'm sorry. Luke chapter 3. The words of the Isaiah prophet Isaiah the prophet, a voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare a way for the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley will be filled and every mountain and hill will be leveled. The crooked will be made straight and the rough places made smooth 
and all humanity will see God's salvation. The word crooked is the same word as what is used in perverse. And so maybe what we can read Peter saying is saying, hey, get off the crooked path. Be saved from the way that is crooked, that is warped, and get onto this highway of God that is straight and level. You are on a pathway, a trajectory of your life that is crooked and is leading to harm and working against God's renewal of all things. And come off that path and come onto the straight path. Get onto the highway of God's way where all humanity will see God's salvation is the promise of the prophet. If you get off the crooked path, get onto the straight path, following the trajectory of God, we will see God's salvation. And so it's an invitation. It Maybe it's not so much speaking about the morality of the generation, but rather of its lostness, its crookedness, the trajectory that it's on. And it's an invitation to step onto God's straight way. And so then the question that I ask is then, what might it look like to walk on the straight road? What will it look like for those who path, whose paths are winding or crooked or those who are on the straight way of Jesus? And our invitation, the, the discipleship invitation for all of us in this is to conform our lives to the pathway of Jesus. It's not just about information. It's not about whether or not you assent to the right structure of beliefs, to the right doctrine, because the people who heard Peter's message that day had the right doctrine. They were God's people, raised in the way, fluent in Scripture, and yet all of them were still called to be baptized into the way of Jesus to change their lives and their hearts and walk in a new way. That message is just as applicable and important for you and me today as it was to those who heard, and it's just as important for those around us who do not yet know the way of Jesus. It's a message that's offensive to us because we say, but I know Jesus, right? I'm, I'm a Christian. I grew up in the church. I've spent almost 40 years living in the, the church world. And yet again and again, we are called to change our hearts, our lives, and to make sure that our actions are moving us in the way of Jesus and his renewal of all things. To get off the crooked path, back onto the straight path, and to experience the salvation of God. Let us be people whose hearts and minds are changed as we follow the way of Jesus.